you're passionate about transforming retail operations and improving performance, plus you're accountable for key change projects and programs in your company, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. Well, hello and welcome to the Retail Transformation Show. My name is Oliver Banks and as always, I'm your host and I'm delighted to be your guide, helping show you the way, helping support you and helping make sure that your retail transformation is a huge success. Thank you for tuning in today. And this one is episode 141, number 141. And in this particular episode, it marks the final of the simplification mini-series that I've been running in collaboration with Simon Heddo from Rethink Productivity and from the Rethink Productivity podcast. Now, I've really enjoyed these conversations and I hope you have too. And I want to be open. The fourth episode of this mini-series with Lisa Widdison is not currently available right now, but I hope it will be back again very soon. So thanks for bearing with us. But I hope you have found this mini-series useful and interesting as Simon and I have dived deeper into various different aspects of simplification. So with this being the fifth one, we are sort of reflecting on some of the key topics that we've come across. And we're also diving into one of the biggest challenges when it comes to simplification, that of change management. So do enjoy listening. And I look forward to hearing, as always, what your thoughts are. Show notes from today are at obandco.uk slash 141. And you can always reach out by email oliver.banks at obandco.uk to share your thoughts. And I will put my email on the show notes for you just to be able to, to get in there if you can't remember. So obandco.uk slash 141. Right. So here is the fifth episode of Simplification Stories with Simon Haddo and myself. Enjoy. Simon, great to be sitting with you once again as we come to the conclusion of our Simplification Stories mini-series. How are things? Very good, very good, yeah. Episode five, who'd have thought it uh, It seemed to whiz by recording of the, the episodes with Steve in episode two, talking about the recruitment transformation and onboarding at uh, NYSA. And then Lisa from Holland and Barrett in episode four, giving us all that insight around building their own software versus buying. And then we've segmented with our own views on simplification to wrap up in episode five today. Indeed, indeed. And just before we do get into it, Simon, I do have to say happy birthday to Rethink Productivity. Ten years old. It's a, a magnificent achievement. So uh, a nice way to celebrate as well this week. Yeah, no, thank thank you very much. There's a few a few things coming out over the next month or so for people to watch out for. So, uh, yeah, some uh, one-off branding to mark the event and a few other things that uh, that will be coming out. So keep an eye on our LinkedIn pages. But no, it, it feels, if I reflect for a second, not 10 years ago since we started. Been an amazing journey. Worked with some great companies, got some great people working for us, met some great people like yourself over that journey and stayed in touch with. So, Hopefully the, the next 10 years goes as well, if not even better, but I, w I wouldn't change it for the world. Wouldn't change it for the world. Well, it's awesome. It's a brilliant achievement and congratulations once again. Thank you. <laughs> so as, as we do reflect on, on the simplification stories, what have been some of your key takeaways? You know, you, you, you touched on it there. You know, we were talking about 
lean and in the first episode we're talking with steve leach around some of the shifts they've made uh, what have been some of your your key takeaways from from perhaps those first couple of episodes i think that there's some consistent themes around keeping it simple communicating senior leadership buy-in Mm. Uh, sometimes it doesn't have to be rocket science and i know we kind of talked off air about this a number of times it doesn't have to be big and complex it can be a wide scale change that's maybe simpler or looking at things from a different angle different perspectives all that kind of stuff so simplification in its essence should free up time or create cost saving opportunity mm -hmm. but it, it doesn't have to be rocket science yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think for me, it's changing things, right? You know, there's that, that classic phrase, the way it's always been done, or yep. this is the way it works around here. And I think simplification is at the very essence of, of changing that mindset and saying, actually, you know what, we could do things differently here. It, it can be scary, but it's exciting. I mean, I think you know, as you look at different people and how different people respond to change, there is obviously a huge amount of variability. Yeah, but personally, I, I'm, I, I, I feel, <laughs> tell me otherwise, that I'm quite pro-change, uh, you know, readily, readily accepting it and so on. It's certainly, that's, that's what it feels like. I'm not sure what your thoughts are. Yeah, I think, I'm, I think I am good with change, but that doesn't mean when it gets closer or you start to think about the unknowns, you don't, you know, get that bit of apprehensive feeling or what if it doesn't work or you can come up with all the negative connotations of why you didn't, shouldn't do something to almost fulfill the desire not to. I'm probably at my best and most creative thinking about change and helping people with change or talking about it, but it doesn't mean it's not scary. And sometimes that's the elephant in the room, I think, of people see other people breeze through change and mm. you know they handle it so well in the personal life and work life and all the other things that they throw over them aren't they amazing but actually i think so those people if they're really honest would say yeah, on the outside you know i'm i'm the old uh, swan in water on the outside i'm gliding across but underneath <laughs> i'm pedaling and and it's just the way you deal with it so people's exterior coolness or calmness accepting of that don't underestimate the fact that we all cope with it in a slightly different way and we'll all be feeling some sort of tension nervousness however you want to describe it as we go through that change curve journey definitely and i think you know i've, I've certainly seen on a number of projects many many times over where you think it's the simplest change yet actually it's that change management piece that is so important to be able to dispel some of the fear and help people through it, help encourage uh, new routines, new rhythms, new sort of the new norm, shall we say? Yeah. <laughs> and I think, I think that change management piece as you look through simplification is, is absolutely huge. And we've touched on it uh, throughout our conversations, actually, over the last four episodes of, of the podcast. And I think it's, very interesting how much attention is actually paid or not paid to the whole change management piece. And I think Steve and Lisa, as we were talking to them, I think have done a pretty good job, actually, to be honest, in terms of taking people on the journey, you know, whether it's around recruitment, whether it's around, you know, the, the new IT systems and developments that, that Lisa was talking through, for example. That fills me with optimism, but I think there's a huge amount more that collectively as an industry we can do 
the word journey is the bit to pick up on there. And by definition, that means that people will be in different places at different mm. times. Yeah. So, you know, t- typically what, what we want is kind of let's let's call ourselves retailers is to define or to say that we want to change something. So we're going to make this process simpler because we're going to put a new piece of tech in and it takes out 50 button presses, let's say. What we really want to happen is for somebody to go around, put all that new tech in, everybody tip up on day one press all the buttons in the right order, put more customers through or have more time to put stock out, do other things. That That's what we want to happen. Mm. But actually, talking about generations, there might be some generations or people at Tech Savvy that pick up really quickly, don't need any training. There might be some people that want a training manual. There might be some people that want a training video. There might be some people that want to be coached through it and have an expert that they can go and talk to if they can't get it right. But actually, what we we all want as change managers and project managers and influencers in in that kind of space is for just everybody to get on with it, mm. which isn't going to get you to where you want. So, yeah, f- for me, that journey is really important to understand. I think everybody will get there, some quicker than others, some in a slightly straighter line than others, some may meander left <laughs> and right for a quite a long time and then come back. But as long as we're really clear on what the destination is, and then we have a a number of different tools and ways to help those people that want to do it in a slightly different way, I think gets you to the end. I see real challenges when it's forced down a particular route, Yeah. whether that be, you know, everything's going to be done by e-learning. Maybe I have to do that in the pandemic, but the world's open, opening up or everybody's going to do it by train the trainer. Everybody's going to watch this video and then they're tick the box done. I think you've got to understand that whole training needs and, people's different styles and behaviors or wants and needs to appreciate the fact that they'll get there maybe in a slightly different way but as long as we get there with the right quality and the right output actually we've achieved what we wanted to achieve yeah totally i I always like to think about change management uh taking into account a different perspective so looking at it almost like we look at marketing to consumers you wouldn't expect to put out let's say a social ad and have 100 conversion on it right nor would you put out just one social ad and say this is our entire marketing plan this one advert (laughs) which is going to bring in everything but instead what you do is you create you know a number of different touch points that each each touch point has a different purpose and across a number of different mediums so you know you may have some videos you may have some tv ads you may have social ads you may have billboards you may have influencers etc etc And it's all there to take a consumer on the journey to get them to visit your store or visit your site and eventually convert them into a customer, of course. And it's just the same from a a change management perspective. So if you are launching a new simplification or maybe a more radical change as well, by the way, you've got to take people on that same journey, to use the word, that has multiple touch points, that has multiple formats so that, like you say, you can appeal to different mindsets, I guess. And again, not everybody's going to get it right first time. Some may not, might not get it right second, third, even fourth time, which is, again, where you need those different layers of um, catching them. So to be able to then say, so we've tried this way, didn't quite work. How's this going to work for you? Because it's just not realistic to expect one touch, one stop, one way to work across you know, we're, we're talking about organizations with 
either stores across uh, countries or lots of stores in a country for them to get it right that first time one time one shot it just doesn't life doesn't pan out like that let alone implementing simple or even more technical challenging changes in a an environment where you absolutely do get back to your point at the start of the this is how we do it around here or oh, we we don't actually do it that way here because of x y and z trying to take out that ingrained behavior and change it is really really difficult however good well thought through whatever it is you're trying to land is that that's the real art in all of this mm. and it, I'm, I'm intrigued to ask simon you know you, you touched on it a couple of minutes ago you know some people don't get it first time second time third time fourth time and there is this feeling that some people will never get the change right that they'll never get fully on the bus What's the best approach in that instance? How, how many times do you try and convert someone before you actually say, actually, no, I'm not going to be able to do this? And then what should you do? What are your thoughts? Everything's a, a conversation. Now, clearly, those conversations can take very different routes depending. If you can understand why somebody can't do it, i.e. Mm. they've not got the right training, they've not got the right equipment, they've not got the right... Um, ways of thinking about it, then you can educate, help inform and come to the right path to help them. So actually, as I said before, you might be trying to say, do this by e-learning, but that person may not be particularly good on a computer and would like to do it, you know, in a test environment or a live environment shadowed so that there's means and ways. Sometimes I think you tend to find long service becomes an issue. So people have been there for ages in an organization, seen this before, done that before, didn't work last time we did it all the time before we did it. So what what's different about this time? Why is it important to them as an individual? Why is it important to the team that they work with on a day-to-day basis? And why is it important to the organization as a whole? Maybe they missed a briefing, maybe just the, the way it was briefed just didn't hit the spot with them. So I think there's lots of coaching, understanding pieces. Now, clearly, we've all not got the time to do that forever. So that there does come a point where there's probably some more direct conversations around, we've tried all these avenues, it, it's not optional. You know, do you understand how to use it? Do you understand the process we need to follow? Yes, yes, or yes, no. These Here's some remedial training, or actually, you, you've kind of just got to get on with it now. Mm. Um, how can we make that easiest for you? Because people will resist change for a number of reasons they know, and probably for a number of reasons they don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, that's, that's a very good point. Sometimes the short and quick change is helpful for some people, almost take away the ability to do what they did in the past, to force the process. Sometimes that's that's not always practical. Sometimes, yeah, if, it, if it's optional to revert back, people will revert back to type. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And I think, obviously, it depends on, on what the change is. If it's a... Yeah. A safety-based change, then compliance suddenly becomes a lot more important than if it's, I don't know, perhaps a, a, a particular way of addressing a customer at a checkout or a, a proposition to make at a checkout, for example. And I think having having ways to feedback, you know, um, challenges to the new ways of working or even tweaks or updates to make it even better is helpful. So again, people with long heritage in organizations will have seen something similar or Mm. what they feel to be similar before if their voice is heard again sometimes that can take away the frustration well last time we did this after six months it didn't really work because Mm. of 
doesn't mean it's going to change, but actually if you acknowledge you've heard it and go back and say, yes, and thank you for that, these are the things we've got in place, or thanks for that, but actually it doesn't change anything, you don't necessarily need to act on it, but people feel like they've been heard and therefore hopefully you know, those negative connotations go away or they get to the point of, well, I've told them, I just need to get on with it. <laughs> yeah, I've got it, got it off the chest, so to speak. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's a, a very nice uh, segue, by the way, thank you, uh, to, to reflect on episode three. And I, I think, you know, in, in episode three, we were talking about people having good intentions. And it's that same piece, right, in change management. There is a reason why someone is rejecting or, or, or not accepting, I should say, the change. And it's a question, how do I find out what, what that reason is? Because... Again, I'll, I'll go in. My, my going in position is people are not doing it just for the sake of being difficult, right? They have a genuine concern. It's not that it's like, no, I just don't want to. Um, sort of <laughs> silly, silly teenager. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, get, it's getting, it's finding a way to unearth that uneasiness or resistance that makes them feel comfortable. And again, as I said, pe- people will do that different ways. And, and some people might not even know it's just um, the overwhelming fear of doing something different kind of cripples them from doing it. Mm. Yep. And it, again, it sort of as as we were talking about in the in the third of our episodes, we had that list right of of key ways to help stay with the the volatile retail market. Those uh, those five items on the list were around being agile, being flexible, taking pivots being trial ready and, and build, building momentum as well, which again, helps with that whole change piece. And I think we touched on it with Steve and certainly we touched on it in episode episode three. So I think, yeah, it's, it's a, a great reflection. For me, the that momentum piece is kind of the center of a lot of that, because if you're building momentum with simplification and change, actually people become more comfortable with it because they've been through the cycle of doing things different. They've seen the, you know, the world doesn't fall apart at the end that actually, (laughs) hopefully a lot of it makes their life simpler in terms of operationally and and better for customers or frees up time. I think the the kind of one thing we've probably not talked about too much is return on investment. So again, lots of simplification projects will be designed in a way to either extract money out of the, the wage budget, the labor cost for that organization or to push back time into drive service and therefore sales and, and build mm. revenue. So, and some may be a mixture of both. I think that the real challenging ones are where maybe a project is what I'd call hygiene factor or foundational. Mm-hmm. So it, it's something that, that the business should do because it will make it a better place for the future. Maybe that's for colleagues, customers, or to build other projects on top of. So we, we need this to be able to do X, Y, and Z projects in the future. Very few businesses can pallet that cost, if that makes sense. So very few businesses will do something and say, there's no ROI on this. It's just the right thing to do. Yep. Uh, so finding that balance of those, what I call foundational projects and the cash saving or the sales increase that's on the back of it is probably the trickiest place to be in all of this yes. because everybody knows it's the right thing to do, but somebody's got to pay for it. Yeah, I, I can think of certainly some projects that I've worked on in the past where 
it's absolutely the right thing, but that that ROI, that sort of tangible benefit that builds a solid business case is the most challenging element. And it's challenging because you can't do you can't do the maths, right? You can't make one plus one equals two and get that ROI. But that then gets in the way of everything else. It, you know, it means that you get prioritized down the the agenda in a lower way. It means that it's it's a struggle to justify each and every stage of pursuing that particular simplification project. And I think equally on the flip side, I think that simplification projects do have a lot of opportunity for for proving the ROI actually, because a simplification is not a, a total rewrite. So you know a lot about the situation already. You know a lot about the status quo. And it's you can see the measures that you want to be dialing up or down rather than a, a more fundamental transformation where perhaps you're wading into the unknown a lot more and you just don't know what what those sort of numbers, what that performance is going to be like. So I think it, it kind of swings and roundabouts on the on the ROI piece for me personally. I agree. It's a, it's a difficult, difficult place to be when you're kind of backward engineering a a business case to give the ROI when everybody oh. kind of knows it's the, it's the right thing to do, but maybe doesn't doesn't drive that level at this point or sets us up for kind of future success. And I'm sure we can all reflect on examples where we've perhaps been uh, involved in a, a reverse engineering challenge, whether we whether we thought it was right or not, probably probably not, where it can drive the wrong behaviours. Right? It can it can drive you to round numbers up. <laughs> <laughs> make yep. some dodgy assumptions not then thinking from a change management perspective about all the good things that do need to happen to be able to get the real change through and delivered because you know if you're talking spreadsheets and ROI and stuff like that it's easy to put down a million quid or 10 million quid or you know put in a, put in a number for whatever benefit you you happen to be driving but if it's not delivered if it's not realized because you haven't done the change effectively it doesn't make a blind bit of difference it's just a number on a spreadsheet but you know quadrillion quid benefit woo yeah (laughs) (laughs) i I think that's also interesting you know again reflecting on the conversation with lisa where we're talking a lot about build versus buy i think that's a an interesting one because it's a it's a very different investment outlook I i should say between the build versus buy one one is obviously you know perfectly tailored and you can really tinker it and tailor it but it costs a lot more up front but perhaps cheaper to run in the, in the long term and more opportunity to again continue to optimize in the long term versus you know you get it right off the shelf you adjust your processes and your business to squeeze into that i think it's a, an interesting discussion yeah and no. I think it's one of those where time will tell. So what, what does it look like in 12, 18, 24 months time? Because there's, I can see the, the beauty of wanting to go and just pick something off the shelf and use it. I can also see the attraction of changing the, the color of a button overnight or the position of a button or the name of a button without mm-hmm. needing to go through an expensive external change control process and then testing and QA with a a third party that you know will will bill you by the day out whatever that mm-hmm. metric might be so i can i can see the benefits of both i can see there's probably pitfalls in in both approaches certainly the market seems to be more 
buying expert software off the shelf and implementing rather than build your own. Mm-hmm. But time will time will tell. Time will tell. Say so I'm I'm kind of on the fence on this one because I can see the pros and cons of both. So I'm not not really sure what side I sit on. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a interesting perspective. Well, it's essentially it's about forging the future of the company, right? So I think it is a, an interesting decision point for for everyone to be considering about what's right for them and what makes them unique, what what makes them stand out in the marketplace. And then, and then for final little pivot, I wanted to talk or touch on in innovation because innovation is a huge piece for simplification because it's arguably the the complete opposite of the way it's always been done, right? And I think it, it, innovation really depends on someone being open and impartial and looking at the way things work, the status quo, and and being brave enough to say, hang on a second, I think there's a better way of doing this. And I think where we are at at the moment, you know, just emerging from the pandemic, we are needing so many people to be really, truly, honestly, and impartially and bravely looking at operating models and at business propositions and at ways of working and at processes and all of the different parts and saying, is this the best way? Is it right? And if it's not the best way or there is opportunity, what, which one should we go after first? I think that's a huge opportunity for, for, well, for all businesses going forward. Yep. External perspective is a good thing in that, I think, as well, because sometimes in organizations, you only... You only know what you only know or can only see what you can only see. Um, But, you know, don't get me wrong. Lots of organizations now have people that have come in there that have worked in different organizations in that field or outside of that field. But again, they'll only see what they can see. Can you benchmark it? Where's the real challenge? And I think I I increasingly see, I think there's an advert on the telly that talks about if if you think big, think bigger. People fixing a problem, but then you have a conversation with them and you kind of say, that's really good, amazing, that'll fix the problem. But actually, if we step back and just look above what you're trying to fix, there's something even bigger to fix here that almost means what you're trying to fix will go away as a, a consequence of that. Yeah. So sometimes it's, again, stepping back, really difficult to get in a certainly a fast-paced retail environment to get that breathing space time, sometimes money for an external perspective. But all it takes is some of those conversations or data points or bits of insight or bits of benchmarking to say, yeah, you're going to spend a lot of time and money fixing this, but there's a bigger prize at play, which will sort that anyway. So why don't we, why don't we have a look at that and see how that could work? Very, very true. And I think it's also an interesting challenge as you start to think about, you know, the, well, actually we could do this bigger piece and this bigger piece. And suddenly where do you draw the line? Right? Because yeah, you can't say, right, we're going to, well, maybe, maybe you can't, it depend, depends on your business and the situation you specifically find yourself in. You can't say everything is up for, up for, up for change because it, it will likely swallow you whole if you don't have anything that is out of the scope, shall we say. Yeah. Um, so it's knowing where is the best, the optimal, the most rewarding point to draw that line to, to take, you know, your simplification and drive it through, drive it home. Is it a simplification or is it actually an evolution or is it a, a fundamental shift? It's, uh, yeah, a huge, huge decision to make, but an important decision to make because if you don't decide, 
you're either do nothing, which doesn't help anyone, or you're going to try and do everything, which means it's bound for failure. <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, and I think I think for me, there's the kind of couple of couple of obvious places. So where, you know, if we take a retail organisation, where do you spend most of your labour money? Typically, it'll be in stock stock tills and management are the probably the three key ones for most retailers. So that that should give you some clues of where potentially the biggest reward is or the biggest benefit to go after. Clearly, customer plays a part. So what are your customers telling you? What is their behaviour doing or how is it changing? Or how do you want to force that behavioural change in a controlled way? And a good example of that will be uh, self-checkouts. So I think we'll see a big move towards less man checkouts in the future in lots of stores, certainly in discount retail and and Mm -hmm. fast moving, and more uh, self-checkout. Clearly, there's a cost benefit. Clearly, there's a throughput benefit, as in it's the customer's time scanning it, not yours. But you'll always need some man checkouts. But does that checkout need to be static? Could it be mobile? Could it be on an iPad? Mm. You know, questions about how you take cash and card and all those kind of things. But that for me is how you almost gradually, gently force the customer behavior. You know, 10 years ago, we didn't self-scan. We didn't shop with an app. We didn't shop on pretty much many self-checkouts. Now it's just the norm. Mm. And if, if you think back, I think back. No one ever taught me how to use a self-checkout. They became easier. Some frustrated. <laughs> some have voices that annoy me. Some don't scan very well. Self-checkout. <laughs> have you? There you go. Some, some weigh, some don't weigh. Some you put it down and it tells you to pick it up and you want to throw it through the window. But, <laughs> but ultimately, it's a bit like your iPhone, isn't it? Or your Android phone. You get it out of the box. You turn it on. You don't need a manual. So customer behaviors evolve that way without much education. There's a lot less people manning self-checkouts in retailers these days than there were five, 10 years ago. Yeah. And I think that, you know, as, as we as we wrap up our, our conversation here, I think that's a brilliant way of thinking about simplification, actually, because a, a true simplification and a true change is done in such a way that it's easier to do the right thing than it is to do the wrong thing. And I think if it's designed in, in the right way and it's focusing on the right challenges and the right problems then that is going to be a much more of a natural shift to 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 ease consumers through to ease your colleagues through to ease the wider business through it's going to be much more natural much more successful and then actually it's going to be a lot more enjoyable for everyone as well which i think is important too yeah absolutely path path of least resistant normally yeah normally rings true in most most projects doesn't it once you start to get into the detail yeah definitely definitely well listen simon this has been a wonderful series with you i've really enjoyed all of our our five episodes diving into simplification and simplification stories and yeah i just want to say thank you very much for for joining me on this on this journey and and exploring and sharing so much insight thank you it's been wonderful to catch up on the episode one, three, and this one, five to close out. And then clearly Steve and Lisa joined us in episodes two and four, respectively. So some some great stories. I think there's probably lots more to touch on potentially in a, a series two, but um, we'll have to, <laughs> have to let the listeners wait and see if that materializes. But no, it's been a pleasure to catch up as always. Hopefully those that have listened to uh, you know all five episodes have got something out of it. It's provoked some thought, some ways of, thinking differently or spark some things to go away and look at look at in their organizations because that that's the true power of these kind of conversations is provoking thought and driving some action from it 
definitely. Couldn't put it better myself. That's brilliant. Great. Well, thank you so much, Simon. And I look forward to catching up with you very, very soon. Brilliant. Thanks, Ollie. Take care. Speak to you soon. Bye. So that's a wrap. The finale of Simplification Stories with Simon Heddo from Rethink Productivity and myself. Now, if you want to listen to more, then obviously, if you've missed any of those episodes, do go back and check out some of those uh, that are full of golden nuggets. But also, I've got three more recommendations for you. Firstly, check out episode 85 of the Retail Transformation Show, where I catch up with Jana Busby, and we talk about the psychology of change. I would also suggest that you check out episode 94, which was a solo show that I did, which was about find and fix your customer frustration. This is a huge opportunity when it comes to simplifying your processes. Just making things work doesn't need to be rocket science, as we were saying. (laughs) And then the final episode that I suggest you go and listen to is episode 102, which is about building a strong will to change, which of course, when it comes to change management, is a really critical foundation to have. If there is a a nagging neglect for change within the organization at any level, then you're instantly up against roadblocks. You're instantly up against challenges and sort of naysayers, and you're going to be fighting all the way. So if you are taking on simplification, you need to be thinking about change management and do go and check out those episodes, number 85, number 94, and number 102. And of course, if you want one simple place to find all of those, then head straight over to the show notes at obandco.uk slash 141. And whilst you're over there, why not sign up for the Retail Transformation Briefing? And if you're still in time, you might be able to get a spot at Retail Transformation Live. You can sign up for free for the virtual event that is going to help you to transform retail retailtransformation.live is the website that you need to go to to grab your free spot. Don't hesitate, don't delay, go and do it now. You might still be in time. Let's wrap this one up right now. Thank you for tuning in. I appreciate you so much. Have a great day, have a great week. Bye. Bye.